told of uh, a little minister or a minister in the Highlands going to a little church. And it was a very inclement night. And uh, when he got there, there was only one old shepherd had come in from the stormy night to hear what the preacher had to say. And so looking down at old Bob the shepherd, the preacher said, you know, Bob, there's just the two of us here. I think we should just maybe go home. And so the old shepherd, with that kind of highland way of saying things without actually spelling it out, said, Minister, I'm a shepherd, and if I load up the cart with hay and go out on a stormy night to feed the sheep, and only one comes down from the hills, I would still feed it. So thoroughly rebuked and chastened, this expository preacher began to unfold his sermon that he had spent hours and hours preparing. When he was well into the third point on subparagraph five, all with alliteration, the shepherd interrupted and said, Excuse me, minister. When I said I would feed the one sheep that came down, I didn't say I would give him the whole calf load. <laughs> but I think there's enough of you here to digest what I've got to say. And I have got a calf load, by the way. Let's pray, shall we, before we turn to God's word. Father, we do need your help. We need your help to hear this. And we need your help to deliver it. So by your spirit, come and use these words, use these thoughts, and use the inclinations of our hearts as we receive it to continue to build our community of faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn to Hebrews 11, we've already read the account in summary form of Exodus 12 through 14 as we found it in Acts 7, but we're going to read us a text from Hebrews 11 verse 27, which continues in our series, Living by Faith, and tonight's sub- subject is um, Faith and Vision. Hebrews 11 and 27 says, By faith he, that is Moses, not fearing the king's anger, left Egypt. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So by way of introduction, we're going to look at Moses' faith continued. Last week, Peter showed us from the life of Moses how faith allowed him, or maybe even caused him, to make good choices that affected his immediate and his long-term circumstances. The week before that, Richard, uh, one of our assistant pastors, covered the part of Moses' story where it was the faith of his parents that had given them courage to hide Moses away from the death sentence that Pharaoh had imposed on all children, particularly the boys. Now we continue today just looking at this living by faith, still in the life of Moses, but under the theme faith and vision. New Testament scholars are divided about... um, which event is being referred to here in Hebrews 11, verse 27. There are two times in which Moses leaves Egypt. There's the first time when he's 40 years old and uh, he's killed an Egyptian guard. And he leaves Egypt at that time and heads off into the desert in Midian. The second time he leaves Egypt is 40 years after that again, when as the leader of God's people... He's asked by God to bring them out from captivity. Some interpreters uh, try to solve the problem for us by saying that it could actually apply to both scenarios. And I think that since 
um, the writer here in Hebrews is encouraging people to look back into the community of faith, that's the, the route that I'm going with tonight. I think it can refer to both times in which Moses left Egypt. There are strengths and weaknesses to any way you want to interpret this. But the most important thing is that I believe is that this departure being referred to is the insight of the, he- the author to the Hebrews that Moses gained courage to go by faith and that he envisioned what was yet not seen. So the application for us is quite clear. It's not often that you get an application this early on in the preaching, but I'm going to give you an application to hold on to as we look at the various aspects the verse teaches us. First of all, the readers of Hebrews could gain the courage to stay, stay true to Christ. Whether they were afraid or not, it's actually less important as to whether they obey or not. And that's an important issue for you and I as we live by faith. It's not so much about how we feel about this, either doing it or the repercussions that may come our way after we've done something that God has asked us to do, but actually whether or not we're willing to be obedient in the first place. And also by faith, the readers of Hebrews could begin to trust God to bring reality, to bring to reality help and protection that was invisible at present. So the main point of what the writer is saying is that faith enables us to see what others cannot see. Let's look back in Hebrews 11, 7 and verse 13. Hebrews 11 and 7 says, By faith Noah warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And then in verse 13 it says that all these people that it's talking about in this chapter were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. So the first important point is that faith enables us to see what others cannot see. And another important point is that faith enables us to do what others cannot do. Remember, when these people did the things they did, folks just laughed at them. They were the the butt of people's ridicule and scorn sometimes. But when they stepped up in faith, God was with them and enabled them to succeed to the praise and glory of his name. Dr. J. Oswald Saunders says, Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present, and the invisible as seen. In good tradition, I have three alliterated points for you this evening. Um, That alliteration thing gets out of hand sometimes. When I was in Bible college, one of our lecturers came one day to address the student body, and he said, I have um, alliterated for you today seven points, all beginning with F. Well, actually, one of them was a PH, but it makes a F sound. Uh, We can take it to extremes, and I hope that this isn't one of these occasions. So I have three points for you. The first one is that Moses' faith had allowed him the courage to escape from Egypt despite the Pharaoh's anger. The authorised version of the Bible, the King James Version of the Bible says, By faith he forsook Egypt, leaving behind all its powers and its pleasures. Now, we've already noted that Moses twice forsook Egypt. 
The first time was as a supposed criminal. As a criminal having been rejected by his own people. Great Bible commentator of a bygone era, Matthew Henry interprets this first departure when he said that he was afraid of the king, not as being a fear of despondency, but of discretion to save his life. Now personally I find that comment uh, very insightful and helpful. There will be times inevitably when we may well be called upon to stand and fight for our faith. But it may be much more prudent and helpful in the long term to get ourselves away from immediate danger and to wait by faith to see how God will work out the situation. What I'm talking about here is what psychologists refer to as the fight or flight response to danger. Some people may may describe Moses' action as cowardice. But it often takes a great deal of courage to escape or to retreat from sources of danger safely, especially where human relationships are concerned. Courage is the opposite of fear, and fear is often paralyzing and debilitating. People who live in abusive relationships or have lived in abusive relationships will know full well what I'm talking about. Fear can be paralyzing, it can be crippling. And it takes a great deal of courage sometimes not to stay in the face of danger. And so Moses escaped as a supposed criminal. Secondly, he escaped as the leader of God's people. It is no little thing to take on responsibility of facing up to Pharaoh. Remember, Moses had spent 40 years of his life in the household of Pharaoh. It was no little thing to defeat Pharaoh's powers by the power of miracle and wonder. And also to persuade the Hebrew nation to abandon everything that was familiar to them in Egypt and to follow you out into what was to be an unknown and uncertain future. As I thought about Moses, having been rejected by God's people once, and maybe that's A word to someone here even tonight, being rejected by God's people once. It takes an awful lot of nerve, an awful lot of courage to hear God's call again and to go back to the same people and say, this time will you follow me? And yet that's what Moses had to do. It took a great deal of courage on his part to go back and do the task that God was calling him to. He had already had that call 40 years before. He went to his own people and said, look, I'm here to help you. And they rejected him and turned him down. But Moses' faith enabled him to face Pharaoh unafraid and to trust God to deal with the enemy. You know, more and more I become convinced that that's actually part of the sovereign nature of God and the way that he works with us. That this morning, as as Peter was talking about the trials, the various trials that you and I encounter in life, Maybe I need to say this to the heart of of just one person here today. Whatever you're going through just now, no matter how difficult that thing is, I'm utterly convinced for your sake that God trusts you. Sometimes we see trial and pain and suffering as something that is external to God's purposes and plans for us. I'm far less convinced of that than I one stage would have been. I'm sure that God trusts whatever is painful to you, trusts it 
to you personally. Because he has plans for you. That he's going to use that trial to shape you and form you and to mold you and cause you to become the woman or the man of God that he intends you to be. And I see that happen in Moses' life. We also have a familiar picture in the Gospels when Jesus sends out the twelve disciples to do the work of the king. He says, don't be afraid. In Matthew 10 and verses 26 through 28, he says, so do not be afraid of them, these people that I'm sending you to. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. I tell What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roof. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We're to fear God, not people. If you start to fear people, you lose your reverent fear of God. And a fear of God is essential to possessing a strong and visionary faith, as we see in the life of Moses here. As I look around the world today, at the increase of sinful behavior and attitudes both in the world and sadly also often in the church, I believe that these can singularly be attributed to a lack of the true fear of God that is to be before the eyes of God's people. A lack of godly fear can result in us becoming hostage to worldly philosophy, tolerance of every kind of wickedness and the watering down of biblical truth as observed in everything from political correctness through to pluralism. God is looking for men and women in our day and generation to have that kind of courageous, unfearful commitment to be reverently fearful of Him and to serve Him whatever the cost. And maybe there's men and women in here who are the next generation of church leaders. It has been my prayer for the generation to which my son and daughter belong to, people in their 20s, that God will use that generation and they will experience things that my generation and the generation of people who brought me into faith and grew up in the church that we never knew, that God will raise up a courageous leadership of young people who will take this country by storm and by force and in the name of Jesus, that we'd see a mighty, powerful move of His Spirit again. Moses was such a person that had that reverent fear. And maybe tonight God will challenge us as individuals to forsake the hostility of this world's systems, either for our own individual sakes, which is good enough, but maybe even importantly, that we would do that on behalf of others. Because maybe God has a Moses here tonight, a Moses in the making who will lead God's people into an experience of faith that generations like mine and others, have failed in the church. So that's the first alliterated point, that Moses had this courage to escape. The second is that by faith, Moses had commitment to endure, regardless of life's trials. The word translated persevere comes from a root word that means strength or power. It literally means to be steadfast. The theme of endurance or perseverance is recurrent throughout Scripture. Let me just read some stuff from Hebrews, first of all. Hebrews 6.15 tells us, Abram waited patiently and received what was promised. Hebrews 10 and 32 
talks of how early on in their Christian experience, the readers had stood their ground in the face of suffering. Hebrews 12 and 3 goes on to say that Jesus himself endured, stood steadfast, persevered opposition from sinful men. And Matthew 10 and 22 says that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. In James 5 and 11 it says there that you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. And so I simply want to learn things that Moses endured over that 40 or 80 year period in which God was grooming him and preparing him and changing him to become the person that he had to be in order to be the leader of the Exodus and to bring God's people from captivity into freedom. Some of these things that Moses had to endure required a passive endurance, and while others required an active endurance. You know, sometimes we do have to do something with this faith of ours. It is a faith that works, as Peter was reminding us this morning. But you know, there are other times actually more difficult for those of us who are activists by nature, when we actually have to take our hands off situations we'd love to control, manipulate and change and say, I won't touch that God. I'm going to stand back from it and wait patiently for you to do the changing. I saw an example of this when I was in my own teens, when going through a time of rebellion and, and, and against the church, against authority, against my parents, uh, my mum very wisely, particularly my mum more so than my dad, but she very wisely came to the place where she never, ever addressed any of my rebellion. She did something far, far more powerful than confront me with it and try to nag me about it or to, to rebuke me for it. She went to God with it. And she prayed about it and said, God, that young son of mine is a real pain in the backside. I don't think my mum used language like that, but I think that was the gist of what she meant. Will you change him? And you know, and by God, I changed. And we see that in the life of Moses. Sometimes we need to have that passive endurance. The first thing I want to suggest is that he endured an identity crisis. He grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. Even though he knew his true identity, he grew up as part of Pharaoh's household. And by the time he was 40, he knew that God had great purposes to use him as the leader who would help the Hebrew slaves. Imagine how frustrating that must have been for poor old Moses. Growing up in the palace of the leader of Egypt, he knows that he's going to be used by God, but where does it all fit in? How do you do this? Can't see where it's going to work. Lord, who am I? Am I a Hebrew? Am I an Egyptian? Am I some kind of amalgam of the two? I think he had an identity crisis. And some of us here tonight maybe face identity crises. Who are we? What are we about? Moses endured that until God gave him clarity. He also endured unfairness and injustice. Both at the hands of Pharaoh and his own people. For a while he endured the ill treatment of his people. Rather than start an uprising. But then when he did step forward to try to help them, they treated him badly and had to leave all that was familiar to him. I think that all of us who are engaged in any form of leadership, particularly in Christian ministry, know something of what that feels like. Um, 
uh, way back in a different generation or a different lifetime for me, I, I was engaged in a lot of youth work. And I know that some of you are youth leaders. Some of you are actually still quite youthful. Uh, but some of you are actually engaged in youth work. You know, I found that to be one of the, the most satisfying areas of ministry, while at the same time being the most unsatisfying. It's a strange, bittersweet experience of how you know that when you give your life to lead young people, that you die for them. And at the same time, you want to kill most of them. You know, Moses had that experience as he stepped forward to be God's man for the hour. He didn't want to do what God had for him, but he gave himself to that work. And then having given himself to the work, he felt the rejection of God's people that he desperately wanted to serve. And he endured that. And he endured it for a purpose, because God had other things for him to do in the future. Thirdly, he endured separation from friends and family. Won't we often do anything to have an easy life? Or maybe some of us would rather do nothing to have an easy life. Moses, why did you get involved? Was it worth it? Having stepped up to that place of obedience to God, all of a sudden you've got nothing. Why did you do that? You forsake your friends and your family. Fourthly, he also endured the tediousness and the boredom, the monotony of a life shepherding sheep in Midian. I've never shepherded sheep in Midian, but growing up in a farm in the, in the Orkneys, in the Orkney Islands, I shepherded sheep on my father's farm. Any shepherds in the house tonight? Alec Cameron will know something about sheep. He comes from border country. Boy, <laughs> it's, it's not the most exciting life in the world looking after flocks of sheep. It really isn't. It doesn't have a lot of glamour to it. It doesn't have a lot of excitement to it. And yet it has a lot of base for teaching us something about how to react to the people of God who are in Scripture likened to God's sheep. Maybe I would make it part of every pastoral training course that somebody's got to go and shepherd sheep for six months just to get used to the idea of how difficult God's people can be at times. Moses had that experience. This was no fast-track leadership training course. The authorized version put it very succinctly when it says, for 40 years he lives in the backside of the desert. And I'm sure it felt like that kind of dead-end job for him many a day. But God was making this man ready for the task that he had assigned for him. If it encourages you, I was actually 18 years old. I'd just come back to the Lord, just met my wife. It was a great year. Um, God is so good. Having forgiven me for my rebellion and my sin, he not only reinstates me to sonship with him, but he also gives me a wife that has been with me for nigh on 30 years now. Fantastic. But you know, when I came back to the Lord when I was 18, I felt a very clear call to full-time Christian ministry. I was 31 years of age before I went off to Bible school. You know, we are sometimes in far, far greater hurry than God ever is with us as he prepares us and shapes us for whatever future he has. Fifthly, he endured the taunts and the opposition of Pharaoh, who refused again and again to set God's people free. He also endured the taunts and the opposition of God's people. He also endured the anger of God 
on behalf of God's people. Having led them out of Egypt and captivity, they're out in the desert and God's people start to rebel. And God comes to Moses. This is God's idea. He comes to Moses and says, look, I'm actually um, not so happy with what I've done here. These people are just so difficult. I'll tell you what, Moses, just you and me will be standing at the end of this day while I destroy these two million people that you've just brought out of the captivity. Now, some of us may have been tempted to say, okay, God... That's a good idea. I'll become the father of this great nation. But Moses, instead, being the man that he was, he fell before the Lord and he pleaded the case of God's rebellious people. And again, you know, I know that our pastor, Peter, will know this in his own heart. That you know, there are times when it would be easier to say to God, tell you what, take away the difficult folks. Peter's never said that to me, by the way. But take away the difficult folks. You know, whenever we feel people are difficult, pastors, what we actually do is to say, Oh God, God, let me stand in the way between you and the judgment that that person rightly deserves. And let me pray for them and let me nurture them and let me love them. Let me give my life in place of them. Because as the good shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep, so must all under shepherds. At whatever level we lead God's people, be prepared to sacrifice our own lives in favor of God's people. And that's what Moses did. That's what Moses did. He endured the anger of God that was rightly deserved by the people of God. You know, he also endured cowardice. That lack of faith of the ten of the twelve spies who went to spy out the promised land, who in turn influenced the whole community to rebel against God. Moses endured that. Not only Moses, but Caleb, Joshua as well. They're right on the brink of experiencing what God has for them in the promised land. And ten men come back with rebellious thoughts and cowardice in their minds and say to the rest of the community, nah, it's too difficult. Let's just wander about in the desert for a while. Well, they did. They wandered for 40 years until every man who was of a fighting age died out. Moses, Joshua and Caleb were the only three old guys left at the end of the day. And you know, I think it's actually... Well, I think it's a bit hard, the way that God treated Moses to end up with, because he was influenced by that rebellion. He endured frequent criticism. And finally, he endured that bad experience of deja vu. Another 40 years of nomadic life in the desert. But even this great man of faith and of great endurance, just let his guard slip just the once. Just the once. God's people are really getting on his case, really, really narking him something big time. And rather than give God the glory, he strikes the rock in anger, taking some of the claim of effecting that miracle by his own power. He says, there's water to drink, drink it. And God says, Moses, I wish you hadn't done that. I wish you'd just been faithful and true to me. As a result of what you've done, you're not going to see the promised land. And there's a warning in that for us as well. Let's keep enduring for the sake of what God has intended us to become. Let's never ever preempt what God wants us to do or to speak something that is not the truth. I know of a pastor who pastored a big church down in Newcastle some years ago. There was an almighty move of God's Holy Spirit. And one evening, this pastor had thoughts in his mind that he'd never had before. And on one occasion, he said, you know, there are people here tonight who God is going to touch miraculously, powerfully. And he received words of knowledge from the Holy Spirit where he's able to identify certain illnesses and, and problems. And God mightily blessed and touched the hearts and lives of many people. 
the next evening, next evening, this, this great man of God thought, that was fantastic last Sunday. And God said to him in the vestry before he came out, he says, well, I'm not going to do any of that stuff tonight. It's just going to be a fairly ordinary time. But he didn't like ordinary any longer. He had tasted the miraculous and the spirit filled. And so he went out and he said, you know, and he started to give this false word of knowledge, claiming it to have come from God. It only took him after a week till God said, you're out of there. Your ministry's finished. Don't ever step beyond the bounds of what I have for you. Only do what I ask you to do. Warren Wearsby says, The endurance of Moses was not a natural gift, for by nature Moses was hesitant and retiring. This endurance and courage came as a reward of his faith. And that faith, we'll see finally, was focused on the unseen God. This example of endurance is so unlike the level of commitment that says, if at first you don't succeed, give up. By faith, Moses, thirdly, had conviction to envisage. Little Tommy's in Sunday school and he's excitedly drawing away a piece of paper when his teacher says, what are you drawing, Tommy? A picture of God, miss, Tommy replies. But no one knows what God actually looks like, the teacher helpfully explained. Well, once I get this picture finished, he responded. You know, we don't know what God is like, and yet we're told that Moses saw that which is unseen. Moses saw the unseen God in ways and at various times. And again, just a simple list for you to consider. He saw God, I believe, in the traditions of his people. That is, the Hebrew people. You know, I'm so glad that my parents took me to Sunday school from the age of two. Not the most dynamic of evangelical churches by any manner or means. And yet I see something of God in what they were doing. We all should be grateful for the church that we've grown up in. Whether we feel it's alive or whether it's less than alive. We can see something in the faith community of how people see God and respond to him. Moses saw God in the traditions of his people. He also, secondly, saw God in the actions prompted by his parents' faith. Someone, I can't quote him precisely because I forget who said this originally, but someone has said that the best way to become a person of faith is to live among people of faith. If you want to know how to become a person of salt and light, live with salt and light people. That stuff rubs off on you. We learn from them. Thirdly, Moses saw God in the sense of injustice he felt at the mistreatment of the slaves. Maybe some of us just need to slow that down and think about that. Why, why we move sometimes when we see something that's unjust, something that's intolerable, something that actually makes us angry in a righteous sense of indignation. Well, I believe somehow we're tapping into the same feelings that were created in the image of God to have. To use our God-given emotions to react to situations. That's just wrong. That's just bad. That shouldn't be happening. Remember, I think one of the most powerful times that I ever prayed for someone who was addicted to drugs was when I heard a 20-year-old girl say one night in a very squeaky, timid, frightened voice, I'm 20 years old. And I don't know if I'm going to see 21. Something inside me just boiled over in anger. As I prayed against 
the people who had caused that young woman to become like that. I think we see God whenever we're prompted by the injustices that he also anger against. Moses fourthly also saw God in the burning bush. Many bushes burn in the desert heat, but not all of God in them. He saw God in the signs and the wonders. He saw God in works of judgment. He saw God in works of providence. Do you know, for 40 years, these rebellious people's clothes and footwear never wore out. As I thought on that today, I thought it's a good job fashions didn't change as quickly as they do today. Or they'd be complaining about that. It's Moses, we want the latest trendy sandals. Come on, man. But for 40 years, same items of clothing. God was faithful. He saw God at work in nature. He saw God at work in the giving of the law. He saw God at work in theophany of the fire and the cloud, the glory over the tabernacle and his presence on the holy mountain. Seeing God in these ways was crucial to Moses, not fearing the anger of Pharaoh and possessing the fortitude to endure. He focused not on the visible things of the physical world around him, since these by nature we all know are unreliable and not a good source of faith. But instead he kept looking to the one who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, even God himself. And seeing God by faith is crucial to our experience as his followers. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to believe God, because anyone who must believe he exists and that he rewards those You may not be able to see God physically, but you can see God by faith. And so in conclusion, this is really the end finally. Uh, when my son was at university and studying his exams, he said, Dad, can I borrow your pen? And I said, yeah, sure you can, son. Uh, why do you want to borrow my pen as opposed to anybody else's pen? He says, because you've got a Baptist pen. And I said, a, a Baptist pen, son? Yep. He says, when this runs out, during the exam, I just say to it, and finally, and I get another 20 minutes out of it still. <laughs> but this really is the conclusion. It's Moses' faith, and it's to be continued. It's to be continued by us, as well as the story to be continued next week by another preacher. If we're to get the practical application out of this lesson, we need to understand, then we need to see it from the New Testament that Egypt is synonymous with the life of sin. The promised land is synonymous with all the inheritance in Christ, both for this life and for the next. And that we're slaves in Egypt, slaves to sin. And God has sent someone greater than Moses to rescue us from our life of slavery, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to get you out of your Egypt, he wants to take you from that place where you're in bondage and in captivity to sin and to bring you into the glorious inheritance that he has promised for all the saints. Someone has said, you know, it's actually sometimes not so difficult to get the person out of Egypt, but after releasing him, it's difficult to get Egypt out of the person. And many of us can identify with that. But the answer is to do what Moses did. Dr. Vance Havner said, Moses chose the imperishable. He saw the invisible. And he did the impossible. Hebrews is written to spur us on to have no less an experience of faith, faith than Moses or any of these other Bible heroes of faith. So let's get living by faith. Let's live by that faith 
words. Let's focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Let's understand and apply and be obedient to all the truth that we have recorded about him in the Bible. Let us shift our experience and our attention from the things of the world and fix them on the invisible God. And by doing this, we too will have courage to escape, commitment to endure, and conviction to envisage. Amen.